Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, turn to Genesis, the book of Genesis, chapter 14, this morning as we look at the priesthood of Christ and what it means for us. Genesis chapter 14, and I want to begin reading with uh, verse, uh, let's start with 18. Uh, the, the context here is that Abraham has gone to rescue his nephew Lot, who has been taken captive, and Abraham gets a, uh, all of his friends and neighbors, and they go and, and do battle with the enemy, this conspiracy of uh, several kings that banded together and were a marauding, pillaging Lot, and he goes and defeats them. And, and so he has all these captives that he's rescued. He has all these uh, spoils of war. And so he's on his way back to home. And suddenly out of nowhere, verse 18 says, uh, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him. And he said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. One of the things that if you have been seeking God at all, you've come to realize that we need a mediator between us and this God of the Bible. He, he is holy, He is good, but we are not that good. So that creates a gap and a problem and a fear and a guilt. In Exodus 20, it says that when Moses came down to give the people the Ten Commandments from God, the mountain was smoking on fire, the people were afraid and trembling and were standing afar off. And Exodus 20, verse 19, they said to Moses, You speak to us, we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, for we will die. <laughs> do we need, in other words, Moses, you be a mediator between us and God. I, I don't want to talk, we don't want to talk to him directly because then we would just die. Job chapter 9 verse 33 has similar feelings when he says concerning his suffering is if there was just someone to arbitrate between us, that is him and God. Someone who could lay his hand upon us both. Someone who could remove God's chastening rod from me so his terror would not frighten me. I mean, this is Job, a very righteous man. And he's saying, oh, I wish there was somebody who could you know, put his hand on God and put his hand on me and come between us so that I'm not so frightened of God. Uh, are you fearful of God and of judgment? I, I wonder sometimes if we maybe do not know the God of the Bible. 
and what, he, what his word teaches us. Maybe we should have a greater fear of God. And when we pursue him, we will start seeing, like Isaiah 6, we'll, we say, he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, then woe is me, for I am undone. Well, once we start perceive, perceiving God and pursuing God, then we start seeing ourselves more like we are in reality. And then we, need, we know we need a mediator. Somebody to filter the judgments and even take the judgments on our behalf. Someone who can take the words of God and make them adaptable and accommodate them to us so we understand what he's saying. This is a mediator. Well, here in uh, Genesis 14, Abraham finds that he has this mysterious mediator or priest, arbiter between him and God called Melchizedek. uh, Abraham has been fighting and now he's returning home and Melchizedek meets him and he brings out bread and wine. Uh, this is like a communion service. This is what you serve at communion. That's, this, this is the ordinance of the New Testament. And he says, blessed be, blessed be you, verse 19, he blessed him, that is Abraham, and said, blessed be Abraham by God. And then in verse 20 he says, and blessed be God who delivered your enemies into your hand. So you'll notice that he blesses Abraham and he blesses God. He speaks for God and he speaks for Abraham. In other words, here's Job's desire. One who's laid his hand on Abraham and one who's laid his hand on God. He's a mediator, a priest. In fact, he's called that in verse 18. And he was a priest of the God who is most high. And that's what a priest is. He comes between you and God and mediates the blessings and the victories of God to you. And then he communicates back to God from the standpoint of his acceptance. He takes you and on the basis of his acceptance, your prayers are then offered, your praises are then received back into heaven. That way you don't have to stand on your own and you can receive the holy presence of God without being burned alive. So here is a uh, mysterious priest mediator who comes out of nowhere and in a book such as Genesis or any of the books in the Bible, uh, First Chronicles, if you've ever read First Chronicles, the first nine chapters are all genealogies. And so here is a man with no genealogy whatsoever. And it adds to the mystique because no one knows who his parents are, no one knows who his grandparents are, no one knows who, nobody can trace him back to Adam, but, and and no one knows what happens to him afterwards. It's like he's endless. No beginning and no end. And he, he brings communion with God and blessing from God, and he does it, and I think this is key, he does it 
hundreds of years, about four or five hundred years before Moses and the law. He just shows up. And by grace, communicates the presence of God to the extent that he says, come and dine with us, bread and wine. The elements of the New Testament experience right here in Genesis 14. Um, The word itself, verse 18, Melchizedek, may be a title, actually. Because Melchi, or Melchi, means a king, and Sedek is Hebrew for righteousness. So it means king of righteousness, who was also the king of Salem, or Shalom, peace. Now, Salem, or uh, that's the way we read it here, but it's actually pronounced shalom, or shalem, means peace. And they, they use this word in Hebrew over in Israel even today as a greeting, shalom. And that's the word used here, king of shalom. The actual place or location is probably Jerusalem. Because that's one of the names. In Psalm 76, verse 1 and 2, it says, In Judah God is known, and His name is great in Israel, and His tent, or His tabernacle, is in Shalom. Meaning Jerusalem. Because sometimes they would just drop the, drop the Jeru and just give the word peace, the place of peace. And here is this king coming from Jerusalem, bringing the communion elements and pronouncing blessing. <laughs> it's just... Incredible. And he comes to acknowledge, he comes to Abraham, and Abraham then acknowledges the legitimacy of his priesthood by the last statement of verse 20. And Abraham gave a tithe or a tenth of everything into his hand. This is remarkable because what it means is I acknowledge your authority and superiority. I acknowledge that it is your mediation that has brought me this victory. I acknowledge that your priesthood is legitimate and I am by this tithe sustaining and promoting and undergirding your work as a priest. And I believe that you are the true priest to God who is my God. And that's what he did with his tithe. Now turn over to Hebrews chapter 7. And I think we have this uh, on the screen. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7. Let me show you this. The way... uh, The writer of Hebrews picks this up. Hebrews chapter 7 and beginning in verse 1, it says, This Melchizedek, a king of Shalom, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. Now here he's picking up this story from Genesis 14. 
And Hebrews 7 verse 2 says, To him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Now he is, that is Melchizedek, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Melchizedek. King righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is king of peace. And by the way, that is the order in the Bible. First righteousness, then peace. And it says in verse 3, he is without father or mother or even genealogy with no beginning of days or end of life, but he resembles thus the Son of God who continues a priest forever. Here's this Melchizedek showing up with no beginning and no ending, and his point is, this is like the Son of God. This is like Jesus' priesthood. Jesus comes. He's, he, Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. Jesus is not a Jewish priest. Jesus comes from Judah, the tribe of Judah. Jesus, and Jesus comes, and he walks up to a woman in the Gospels and forgives her, and there's no temple priesthood, there's no sacrificial system, there's no law of Moses over there. She's not circumcised. He just pronounces her forgiven by grace alone. He just comes in and does it, forgives her and brings the blessing of God and bypasses the whole Mosaic system. This is the priesthood that Melchizedek represents. The law, when Melchizedek showed up, the law wasn't even in existence for another four or five hundred years when Moses brought Israel out of bondage. This is the point he's making here. He has no father, he has no mother. He just comes so that there must be then, in the Bible, in the Old Testament particularly, up through the time of Jesus, two legitimate priesthoods. And give me the graph. Uh, here are, here, this is my little graph to show you these two priesthoods. The first priesthood, this Melchizedek in Genesis 14, which goes without the law and continues all the way through Jesus. Jesus just picks up the Melchizedek priesthood. He's of the order, the status, the standing of Melchizedek in that he brings, he is a mediator between us and God and he administers the blessing of God and he does it without anything else to accompany it. It is strict, straight through Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I don't want to undermine my own work here, but Jesus can bless you without me, without the church, without being in the building, without, any, without even being a Baptist. Y'all believe that? <laughs> I said, no, man. <laughs> i got to be a Baptist. <laughs> so the Melchizedek priesthood is ongoing. The the priesthood that began with the Exodus, with Moses and Aaron and the Levites, started about 1400 B.C. That was with the, with the Exodus. They, they brought, Moses brought them out of Egyptian bondage into the land of Canaan with Joshua. They set up the tabernacle and the Aaronic priest, and everyone went there to be right with God. Well, Melchizedek is different. 
He comes to you. <laughs> See, it, in the Aaron priesthood, began in 14 B.C. and ended uh, with Jesus, you ha- if, you wanted to be, if you wanted to have a blood sacrifice, if you wanted to be blessed, if you wanted to know God and be forgiven, you went to Jerusalem and you went to the ta- tabernacle and you went to the tent and you sacrificed your animal and you got bloodshed and the priest would pronounce you forgiven there. You go there. Abraham's off somewhere. I don't even know where he is. And Melchizedek comes to him. He just shows up. And that's the way Jesus will do. He comes to you. That is grace. When he shows up in your life and you're like, whoa. And mediates the blessing of God to you. And and by the way, Melchizedek didn't do that and then send Abraham a bill. And say, okay, now you've got to give me 10%. He blessed him first. If you read that story, he blessed him first. At the end of the ceremony of the communion, Abraham said, I want to give you this. The law and the prophets lasted until John. And so that's, that's the priesthood of Aaron. They last until the New Testament. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, He initiated that, he entered into that Melchizedek priesthood which goes all the way back to and previous to Genesis 14. The Melchizedek priesthood actually never ceased. It ran, and and that's why I ran these lines parallel because the Melchizedek priesthood ran along the lines all the way through the Old Testament period along with the function of the tabernacle and the Aaron priesthood. In other words, the Mosaic law. And you know who's an example of that? Is when David becomes the king of Israel. David goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant out of the tabernacle where they were worshiping and where it was at Gibeon, and brings it to Jerusalem and just puts a tent over it, and whosoever will may come. You You didn't have to be a priest or a Jew or anybody to just walk in. And David would spend time in that tent. Now that was a worship service that ran alongside the Mosaic worship service. Here's what it says in 1 Chronicles 16, 1-2. They brought in the ark of God and set it inside a tent that David pitched for it and offered offerings and peace offerings before God and blessed the people in the name of the Lord. But here's what it says about the one... In fact, give me the, uh, give me the map of Gibeon. Here's Jerusalem. David brings up the ark of the covenant and puts it in a tent in Jerusalem so it's close to him. David then leaves the rest of the system, the tabernacle with the sacrificial the sacrifices down at Gibeon. And here's what it says, 1 Chronicles 16.37. David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant to minister regularly as each day required in 1 Chronicles 16.39. And he left Zadok the priest and his brothers before the tabernacle of the Lord that was at Gibeon. So he, he had two worship places, two priesthoods functioning 
running parallel alongside each other at the same time in history. And this one was blessing. He just, Melchizedek came to bless. The other was judgment and blood and the law of Moses. And that one ceased in 33 AD. By the way, that's why Melchizedek comes from Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Because, and where does David set up his tent with the Ark of the Covenant? In Jerusalem, Mount Zion. Because it's the Melchizedek priesthood. It's the same in David as it is in Genesis 14. Now when Jesus comes, he establishes a priesthood in the heavenly Jerusalem, of which the others were pictures and types, the heavenly Mount Zion, and there he mediates the presence of God and accommodates the awful holiness of God to hurting, bleeding, wounded, sinful, failing humanity. He, and he mediates that blessing and then he takes our prayers and he filters them and sifts them and offers them back to the Father so that they are acceptable through himself, through his own acceptance. That's the Melchizedek priesthood. And that's the priesthood we are under today and that we always will be. Psalm 110, David said this, He took an oath and swore an oath, this is what God did, that they would, he would be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110. Now when you, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 7 here. Because here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Jewish people. Because they're getting discouraged, they're thinking about going back to Judaism. They're thinking about uh, leaving Jesus because they can't, here's a high priest they can't see. And so he writes to them and he says, oh, don't do that because you... You not only have a functioning high priest, a mediator, but you have one that is far superior to the earthly priest. You have a high priest in Jesus Christ and a priesthood that will never pass away. See, this is his point, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. He's without father, without mother, He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. That's why Melchizedek comes out of nowhere and then disappears back because that's a continuing priesthood. And he says he resembles the Son of God in that he continues a priest forever. This is a continued priesthood. When these priests on earth get tired and even grow, grow weary and even fail and sin, there's a priest up there that is our true high priest who mediates God and he never gets tired or weary. The thing that matters is not whether you fail, but whether he fails. Because if you fail, you have a mediator. And the good news is he will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you get tired, he doesn't get tired. 
When you sin, He doesn't sin. And He is able to mediate God's blessing to us. Now, uh, let's go to the lessons here on this priesthood. Let me give you these, these lessons. Here, here's the things I want you to think about. One uh, point that we would make is that true religion, true faith, goes back to the earliest chapters of Genesis. Sometimes I, uh, uh, somebody will say something about uh, the oldest religion. Doesn't, doesn't the fact that Buddhism, for example, that was started in, that began in like 600 B.C., well, that antedates, precedes Christianity by 600 years. Isn't there a powerful argument in the fact that Buddhism came along 600 years before Jesus? Ah, the thing about Jesus is he is pictured and portrayed and typified again and again in the Old Testament. The priesthood of Jesus goes back to Genesis 14. And unless you've got some religion that goes previous to Genesis 14, (laughs) which I don't think we can find one of that, The true legitimate priesthood is not only came with Jesus, but was in place as far back as the earliest chapters of Genesis and the earliest history of humanity. It precedes every known faith. That's what I want you to know. The true religion goes back to the earliest chapters. No one came first but Jesus did. If precedence and antiquity is an argument, Jesus wins it. A second point is that there is only one religion in the Bible that has a permanent and legitimate priest. and combines both permanence and legitimacy. That's the Melchizedek priesthood of which Jesus fulfills it. If you look at at the priesthood of Judaism, where is it today? They not only don't have a high priest, a mediator between them and God in Judaism, they don't even have a temple in which for him to function in. Judaism without the Melchizedek priesthood, is dysfunctional. There's only one legitimate priesthood by which you can go to Jesus. Only one mediatorship. And sometimes the the Jews and the uh, Muslims will argue their legitimacy both of them from Abraham, because Abraham had Isaac, from which came the Jews, and Abraham had Ishmael, from which came the Muslims. And here is his point in Hebrews 7. Look at Hebrews 7, verse 4. You see how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils? Look, Abraham, out of whom came both Jews and Muslims, 
acknowledged a higher priesthood and religion by tithing and supporting it. (laughs) See, this means Muslims should send their money to the Christian church. Yeah, I'm telling you, that's what this means. Because the priesthood of Jesus is the Melchizedek order and Abraham, who is the father of both Jews and Muslims, Jews and Muslims, because they're from Abraham, if they follow their father, their forefather Abraham, they should acknowledge the supremacy and superiority of the Melchizedek priesthood by giving their tithe unto that priesthood and supporting it, which is in the location of the Christian churches. Listen to this verse, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2, 5. One mediator and there isn't another. So the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. and the priesthood was ceased to function in 70 A.D. And he's wanting these Jews in Hebrews chapter 7, he's wanting them to know that you don't have to worry about the loss of a priesthood down here because you have a glorious priesthood, the one that never ceases to exist and has always been in existence since the earliest time of our history. A third point about this priesthood, and that is we acknowledge and promote this priesthood, this mediator, by our tithe. Verse 4 again, See how great this man was, that is, this Melchizedek, to whom Abraham gave a tenth. See how great he was? Abraham was thought, he was called a friend of God, he was called a prince of God. Abraham was famous. Everybody claims him. And yet he tithed to Melchizedek. So he must see how great this man was, Melchizedek, that Abraham would tithe to him. And the point there is that Abraham believed that that was a legitimate priesthood. When we tithe unto Jesus Christ, we are affirming the legitimacy and permanence and vitality and importance of his mediatorship. C.S. Lewis said this, if Christianity is false, it is of no importance. If it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> Amen? I get that. If it's not true, it's not important. Christianity is not important. If it's not true, what, what good is a myth? If it is true, it's infinitely important. The only thing that Christianity, as it is presented in the Word of God, the only thing, the option is removed, that it is moderately important. That it is one of several important things. No, my friend. This thing claims us. This thing inflames and inspires us. It is our whole future and hope 
for heaven and God. One more verse. Hebrews 7, 8. And I think we got this one on the screen. Hebrews 7 and 8. Hebrews 7, verse 8. In the one case, he's, he's contrasting the two priesthoods, the Aaron or Mosaic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood in Christ. In verse 8, he says, In one case, tithes are received by mortal men. In the Old Testament, you took your tithes to the Aaron priest. You went to worship, you took them your tithe. Mortal men, dying men, weak men receive those tithes. And then here's what he says. In the other case, that is in the Melchizedek case, it is received, they, the tithes are received by one of whom it is testified that he lives. Now there's a couple of ways you can take that. But I want to point out, it is, just as the mortal men receive them, in the other case, in the Melchizedek case, he receives them. When you tithe, to the Christian church, to the priesthood of Jesus Christ, and support and maintain that priesthood, He receives them. It's like He puts His hand. He, he's, uh, it looks like you're putting it in a basket, but you're putting it in Jesus' hand. That, that's what it says in verse 8. I've looked at this all week, and I've slept on it, thought on it, prayed on it. In the one case they receive them, in this case... One other receives them, and it testifies, it bears a witness that this priesthood lives. This Melchizedek priesthood that Abraham knew, that David experienced, that he's telling them is superior to Aaron and the temple that's going to be destroyed in a, in a couple of years when he wrote that. He said, this new priesthood, this mediatorship of Jesus... This, we give our tithes to Him, He receives it, and that witnesses that He and His priesthood is alive and functioning.